welcome to the Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and look, a new day has begun. So let's start off with a fantastic episode for you. Today's guest is Senna Church, a animator and visual development artist with a plethora of incredible character designs and fun ideas ready to be unleashed onto the world. This was genuinely a very fun and very informative conversation to have with Senna. Uh, Senna was someone that I think they were following me a little bit on Twitter before I eventually asked them, or I, I saw them and followed them. They followed me. Back. Either way, I was excited to have Senna on, and it was certainly an amazing conversation that I know you guys are going to absolutely love and enjoy. Make sure you support Senna with all the links down in the description below. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Leave five stars wherever you can. I see that stuff. I absolutely love it. If you want a place to talk about the podcast and find some incredible people that love it as well, maybe you should consider joining the Postmod Art Pod Discord server, The Artist Sanctuary. We've already been developing an incredible community there with some fun times all around, and I think you would be a wonderful addition to be a part of it today. And hey, if you want to go even further with that support, maybe you should consider going to the merch shop at pmap.creator-spring.com. There you can find some incredible streetwear done by some incredible artists, and I know you're going to absolutely love and enjoy it and want to rep that stuff today. But now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. It's um, been sort of rainy today, so it's mm. one of those like slow, dreary days. There, uh, but enough. I always liked rain, so <laughs> I'm fine with rain. I just hate having to drive in the rain. You know, like if I'm like, say, oh yeah, if I'm like staying somewhere or if I'm like certain, like I, it's nice, it's cool, like especially whenever it's a little windy to go with or whatnot. Like it, yeah. it's, it's good, relaxing vibe. If I have to drive through it, I'm gonna have a heart attack every five seconds. Uh, <laughs> Oh, same. I love I love a good thunderstorm, but whenever I, there's a thunderstorm, there's a really good chance that like I'll have a power outage. So it's like a give and a take of like, oh, do I want the fun atmosphere or do I want my <laughs> my my stuff to not crash on me? You give and you take. You can enjoy the vibe, but you can you can have nothing <laughs> to work with. Exactly. <laughs> Goodness. Ah, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. By the way, I really do appreciate it course this is cool i've actually i've never been on a podcast before well there you go i'm glad to be one of the first <laughs> yay <laughs> i also want to make sure i don't butcher your name in the first place <laughs> first it's senna right or yes okay yes it's like um it's like jenna but with an s okay uh the, <laughs> it's a it's a very weird name because okay so it's technically a a real name i i hear it's of arabic origin that is not Ooh. what my mother had in mind when she named me though uh so she just she just made up a name, uh, and it just so happens to be a real name, um, which I think is extremely funny. I don't know how you do that. Okay, I mean, <laughs> coincidences are a thing, as unique as they are. They really are. <laughs> All right, but I I I just wanted to be honest, sure, because it wouldn't be the first time I completely butchered a name on this podcast. <laughs> Jesus. Oh no worries, but, I get it. So I just want to yeah. make sure that I don't say and welcome to the podcast, John Cena Church. <laughs> <laughs> You would not be the first person. I, I sadly, I'm not surprised by that. 
Yeah. Okay, Senna, before we really get going, I must ask the icebreaker question of the podcast, if I may. Let's say you get to go to a desert island on your own accords. It's just you, along with your thoughts. You get to kick back, relax, breathe. You get to truly enjoy yourself just for a little bit. Sounds nice. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> to help with whatever vibe you're trying to go with on this island, you can bring one piece of media or one piece of art with you to help with, again, relaxation, whatever headspace you want to put mm-hmm. yourself in. If given this opportunity, what would that one piece be? Um... Let me think. Uh, <laughs> mm, well, I would I would probably want to bring maybe a piece of music, okay. honestly. And that sounds kind of silly because I'm not a musician, but I love music. So, um, I mean, you probably. Got, so, I, I just got to go say, it's not like every single like video game designer that comes on here is like, well, I have to bring a video game because I only play, yeah. I only make video games or whatnot. Like, this is, again, like, it's. <laughs> it has been established on this podcast before when it comes to art just in general and whatnot inspiration can come from anywhere that doesn't mean just because you're an animator you only have to bring animated films with you on this desert island okay <laughs> totally yeah um well i guess if if i i probably want to bring music because the only thing that i think would go really really would pair very nicely with a deserted island where it's just vibes would be probably a good soundtrack so okay. i would probably have to say um yeah like a maybe a like a cassette tape copy of like a Frank Sinatra Ooh. best of album. I think Ooh. that would, I think that would really uh, be good. That is a bold choice. That is a good choice. Nevertheless. Cause like not just, not just the fact that it's Frank Sinatra, which anyone that has listened to even a single song from Frank Sinatra can understand that vibe, but specifically yes. the cassette case copy of it is the part that yes. intrigues me. Is it just like the aesthetic of it or like the quality that it produces um, or whatnot? Well, I, I would assume, um, First and foremost, it being a deserted island, just a cassette tape, like a tape deck would be easiest to manage. But also, <laughs> I, I genuinely really love the way that cassette tapes sound. I actually have a, I started collecting them like two years ago. Okay. So I've got like a, like a cassette tape collection. And, and I really, really like the, the feel, like the, the actual tangible feel of holding the tape in my hands mm-hmm. alongside the actual sound of the tape itself um the only downside is that they they break so easy they like like you would you would think that they're that they're pretty sturdy um but i i can absolutely tell you a, a solid 10 percent of the tapes in my collection either don't play or don't play the right way and it's just because they're old <laughs> yeah i mean when you play it when you play it enough because i mean let's be honest like yeah it may seem like they would be durable or whatnot but you see the little like film or whatnot that they print that stuff on like that stuff isn't like yeah. isn't really built to last i mean or at least probably no. not with that intention in mind so no it's most certainly not supposed to last and you're you're not supposed like you have to be so careful when you take care of them too because um you don't want to you don't want to be you don't want to have the, the the tape being smashed or else you'll risk bending the the actual fill like tape filament inside or you don't want to put it in the sun or for fear that the tape will melt or anything yeah. um <laughs> which, which probably bad on the desert island which would probably be just it would sunshine. be pretty terrible <laughs> The, Maybe that was a bad choice. Maybe no, I should have just chose a CD. Just because I said, you know, you're on a deserted <laughs> island or whatnot, you'll be accommodated. We'll make sure that stuff is nice, safe, and secure for of you. Course. We're not, we're not going to yeah. let this, like, we're giving you basically the all, you know, well experience or whatnot. We're not trying to make you feel like you're stranded, okay? <laughs> Good. Yeah, it would really suck if on day one my tape broke. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll just find another one. We'll ship it right out to you. Um, there you go. But I, yeah. also, I also wanted to bring up a different point. Frank Sinatra, again, why was that like the first one that came to mind for you? I feel like, um, okay, I have I have like a very strong love-hate relationship with Frank Sinatra as like a like an individual. I love his music. I, I really, really like the old, like the like the crooner, the old oldies from like the, the 40s to like the 60s, late, like really? early 70s. I, I love those that kind of music. And, and to be fair, Frank Sinatra and the rest of the Rat Pack were kind of like the icons of the genre mm-hmm. um Frank Sinatra of course he definitely like he's he's the name everybody knows probably the most out of the group and therefore he's made the most recordings um but I feel like I feel like when like like granted no no artist has a perfect discography but like his best music is some of the best music in my yep. opinion um I mean, he's he's made some absolute stinkers, but like if you don't think about those ones, he's got a pretty good discography, and I feel like that's that's a a good sound to to have while I'm I'm chilling out. I mean, to be fair, it's not like he you know had that longevity that he did have of years in the business or whatnot off of nothing. Like it was something that he both oh, earned totally. with it, something he both earned with his talent and was smart when it came to like his business savvy more than anything else. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, that guy was a he was a businessman first and an artist second, honestly. <laughs> after after this podcast, there, there's a podcast that I need to share with you called Ridiculous Crime. They recently had oh, yeah? they had an episode to where they talked about how a person tried to get Frank Sinatra to pay them money because they needed money by stealing his son mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra Jr. Oh wow! Yeah, that seems like a bad idea. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. It was. It, <laughs> it was a very fun story. <laughs> but yeah, I was gonna say I wouldn't recommend that at all. Um, I know that there were rumors of him having um, mob connections, even though he very heavily denied it. Um, I wouldn't want to be the guy to get on the wrong side of a guy with alleged mob connections. You know what I mean? Bad I, idea. I would. I would just leave him be. At the end of the day, as long as like leave him be. <laughs> It's like, do you, do you think Frank Sinatra has mob connections? I did you hear that recent tape that he said that? I think it's like really good, you know. Um. Yeah, <laughs> just change the subject. Yeah, find something else to talk about. Exactly, but nevertheless, a cassette tape of the best of Frank Sinatra. That is your answer. You're locking that in. That is, I will, I will, I will lock that in. Um, uh, see if it's on the board. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if that's the case, I cannot think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Nathan Raglan. Uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. You can support the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash PMAP. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> She is an animator and visual development artist with a, uh, not with a, with several characters to boot, both personally and professionally. Welcome to the podcast, Senna Church! Ayo! Hey! (laughs) How are you doing? I am doing pretty good. Awesome. Um, Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm thankful that, once again, you're taking the time to be here today. I really do appreciate and love the art you've been able to push out. And I knew it was, like, because I've been seeing your art for a little bit, especially after you were gracious enough to follow me on Twitter. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) But even then, like, seeing the art you've been able to produce and seeing your back catalog and stuff, it has 
is absolutely incredible what you've been able to produce, and I definitely want to divulge into that. But before we really start with what you have been working on, I want to go back just a little <laughs> bit, and I want to know more or less the origin story of Senna. What got you interested in art and animation in the first place? Wow, loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast, uh, you have you, time. <laughs> of course. Um, well, if you ask my mom, uh, quote, I've been drawing since I was very young, Mm. Um, I think one of the first indications that I had of, of of extreme personal interest was in, oh gosh, how old was I? This was a summer camp when I was very, very young. So I'm going to say somewhere around being like 12. Okay. Uh, I was like tracing dragons out of a, uh, out of a, like a, you remember the dragonology books? It was like a dragonology book. Yes. I remember those. Yes, I was absolutely obsessed with that series, and I remember I remember tracing the dragons very, very uh, consistently. Um, and I guess in terms of animation, I actually hadn't considered becoming an animator, like a, like an animator, animator for a while until I got to college. Uh, with my heart set on becoming a visual development artist, okay, I kind of wanted to do concept art. I wanted to do character designs. Um, but in order to, if at least the college that I went to, I went to the College for Creative Studies at CCS um, to Detroit. Uh, when I went, there was no specific track specifically for concept art. There is one mm. now, but when I started, there wasn't. <laughs> so what you would do was you would graduate under the animation label and just take classes that catered to visual development. Okay. Um, so when I started taking classes there, I actually took in like a couple animation classes because they were required to graduate under animation. <laughs> um, and and I didn't realize that I liked it so much, and so I started doing it. And I kind of changed the my my plan from uh, becoming a concept artist into just becoming an animator because I I liked the um, I liked the workflow of it. Uh, and I liked the, I liked, I felt, I felt way more self-satisfied when I would finish an animation project versus when I would finish a, uh, uh, piece of like visual, uh, uh, like visual reference for like a character. Okay. Um, and don't get me wrong. I still, I still love making uh, character art and concept art. Um, but animation was something I was not expecting to like until I started doing it as frequently as I did. You know what? Fair enough. I mean, it's it's never it's never just like a clear path of realizing you enjoy something until you actually like go head first all in on it one way or another. I imagine yeah. that was more or less the experience for you because I mean, I can certainly attest because I went to school for filmmaking and such. But oh like, yeah, but looking but like going from high school to college, I didn't realize there was a path for that. I thought I was gonna be like a sportscaster because I was a huge fan of sports in like high school or whatnot. So I thought, oh okay, yeah, that's cool. That, that was gonna be the general path. That's what I was thinking. But then. I went to the college that I went to, uh, Valdosta State University, just looking at their mass media f building because that was like the general term that they had instead of having like a yeah. specific filmmaking path, like you with the <laughs> with the visual development art thing. But like seeing that facility, like it immediately changed me to wanting to be a part of that in one way or another. And I can imagine like. Especially for you, like, we'll definitely talk a lot about the animation, but I have to ask, because this was technically going to be a question I was going to ask, visual development artists. Seeing that title mm -hmm. intrigued me more than anything else, because I'd never heard of concept art being described as that. So I want to ask, at least in your opinion, how would you describe visual development artists and what exactly does that entail? Um, so I actually, I picked it up mostly because, uh, well, again, when I was at school, um, I wasn't the only person who wanted to become a concept artist. Okay. Uh, and, um, 
uh, well, uh, concept art in general kind of form. It's it's a it's a very wide range of things. You know, you can become a concept artist and do many many different things or many different subject matters. And I think visual development was more about honing in a style more so than a design. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I so, got the idea. Yeah. So, and I mean, and, and to be fair, uh, me and my, my colleagues, we did use the terms pretty interchangeably. And in a lot of situations, uh, concept art was always kind of, uh, uh, at least the, the connotations of the term concept art versus visual development artists um, meant that, uh, uh, like, for concept art... Uh, as as we knew it in our context in school, concept art could also lead you down the path of making like, like, product and car design. Okay. Um, and which was also something that was offered at my school, which actually was a very well known thing that was offered purely because of the like alumni. Actually, CCS was more well known for doing um for being a transportation design school. It's like mm. the number one school for that period so concept art doesn't necessarily mean oh you make characters for movies concept art means that you are making concept art for literally anything in, right. in at least in my mind but visual development kind of was a specific title that we used to discern um animation game and illustration like as well like as a description of making visual like de like developing visual style or developing a visual aesthetic or like a visual uh like character or something um okay. yeah. so yeah <laughs> i was gonna say fair enough i know like you were saying you know that your school is well known especially when it comes to automotive stuff I, I hate to say directly like this but i mean come on we're talking about like around detroit right here which was you know home for like one of the biggest you know oh yes automobile hubs oh, yes, of all yes, time yes. <laughs> so i mean i can see why they may or may not have a bit of an emphasis on that just saying absolutely <laughs> yeah uh yeah, you you can tell it. They uh, if you look at if you were actually and this is not a, this is not a diss at the school by any means, but mm -hmm. if you look up anything related to the school, nine times out of ten they will be showing you uh, class photos from a transportation design class or mm. or finished class work from a transportation design class or pictures of students at a transportation design event. <laughs> and to be fair, I understand why they do that. Because um, you're in the hometown of Ford and GM and all of these gigantic, uh, uh, like, vehicle companies. To be fair, like, everybody – not everybody, but most people I know that live in the Detroit area either work or know somebody that works at a major car company. Yep. So it's so ingrained into the popular culture where you, it, you can't escape it. But the nice part about it is that since uh, you have a college that's in the middle of this, like, mecca for cars – uh, like these transportation design students, they end up with some of the best opportunities, like flat out. Like they, they are constantly going to talks and events. They're getting internship opportunities at these places. And it's like, oh my goodness gracious, you guys are really in the heart <laughs> of it. Uh, <laughs> no joke, no joke whatsoever. Um, and I imagine yeah. like, especially for you, like being in that field, just at least when it comes to the, the creative aspect of it, it had to have been like incredible more than anything else. When did it for you go from this, like just general love for art and animation and visual concepts to a passion of wanting to make it your career? Um, well, I think a lot of it actually was kind of coming externally before I kind of internalized it. Okay. Um, because I remember in like middle, like it was like middle school, high school era. Um, I, 
Actually, this actually goes way back, even even in elementary school. Um, I'm, I, I am not very good at paying attention in class, so what I would do to focus better would be to draw. So everybody knew me as the kid who draws in class, <laughs> which I'm sure is not an unpopular uh, feeling that a lot of people have sh- uh, like shared before. Um, but I think the interesting thing about that is that when people start telling you, oh, you're probably going to grow up, become an artist, as you start to realize, well, actually, yeah, that actually sounds like a really fun job. Um, I should look more into seeing how I can do that. Uh, and by the time I reached high school, I was, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say I was putting aside my studies, but I was definitely more focused on the idea of getting into an art college than, I don't know, like a general studies right. or like a major or something. Um, and I, I think actually it was probably one of these situations of, uh, I, I was started to get, this is also the time right around where I started becoming part of social media mm. and I was actually starting people who are professionals in this field that I was kind of interested in and I started realizing that they were leading lifestyles that I was actually heavily interested in I wanted to be able to be the kind of guy who could work at a studio during the day come home and make personal art at night and have a lifestyle that was basically revolving around like the the concept of creating which I had, guess I had not realized was an option before because, again, <laughs> I live in an area where everybody works for a car company. Yeah, yeah, I can totally <laughs> to to a lesser <laughs> to a lesser extent. I kind of understand that because, in fact, I live in a part of where I live to where farming is the major emphasis or whatnot. I like, yes. I, I went to a high school to where if you were not in the FFA, the future farmers of America, you were one of the weird ones. Uh-huh. I was one of the weird ones. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah. Can you think of some of those artists that you mentioned for a second there that kind of had that like lifestyle that more or less inspired you to want to really go down that path? Oh my gosh. Um, well, actually, a lot of them came from Tumblr because okay. I was around. Oh my god, I say this like <laughs> like I was like an old man. I was around during the the early booming era of Tumblr. I have seen a lot in my life. But um, basically, I, <laughs> you, you were you were there before they decided to get rid of the porn stuff, huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. I I have I have seen so many things. I was there during the Misha apocalypse. I remember oh, it. I remember it happening. Um, but like the, the nice part about that was since being around 2012, uh, Tumblr, um, I was, I was exposed to a lot of people who were about, I would say like college age or like post-graduation college age who were artists in their field. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least maybe a little bit older even, but people who were old enough to basically have a lifestyle revolving around that. And I remember I followed, um. Um, oh my gosh, I followed so many people. Uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, I do remember uh, one of the first people I followed on Tumblr, like just flat out, was uh, 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 Tracy Butler, who makes the Lackadaisy Cats uh, oh, webcomic. Right. Yeah. Which was one of my absolute favorite things when I was a kid. Oh my gosh, <laughs> in middle school, it was like the only thing I would talk about. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but I mean, like in, in, in conjunction with that, I followed. Um, my gosh who else there was there was like there was numerous other people who were working in like uh like game development and stuff like that who were making concept art which is half the reason that i started doing concept art was i just, i followed uh, artists at the time i wish i could remember their names it has been at least 10 years <laughs> valid but, um, fair yeah but uh uh I, but i remember following these people like 
my gosh, yeah, 10 years ago, and everybody was doing a variation of like concept art or, or comic creation. A lot of people were making web comics. I remember there being a lot of web comics at the, during, the, uh, during the era that I was following. Um, but uh, being so entrenched in this kind of idea that people were basically more or less self-made as artists was really crazy to me because it was not something I was aware was like an actual career. In my mind, if you wanted to become a self-made artist, you were going to be doing gallery work, which I was, I never, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a big gallery guy. I don't think <laughs> I make stuff that would work in a gallery space. Uh, and I don't really have an interest in rubbing elbows with like gallery people. But um, but like realizing that you could just, you could make a, uh, a lifestyle out of making character art or, or like, like 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 making comics or like long form stories or uh even finding a studio job where you work as a character designer i didn't i did not realize that that was an option until so much later and it was like those those people really shaped me into um my choices to become an animator in the first place which i think was kind of special Absolutely, I can only imagine, especially like the one name you did name, uh, uh, Tracy Butler or whatnot, with Lack of Daisy or whatnot. Like, especially seeing how far they have come along since those early days or whatnot. The fact that they're currently deep in development of that animated short or whatnot. Like, oh, that's that's just like beautiful, stunning, love it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really it's really awesome, especially considering the fact that um um I was I was actually I was really really fortunate. I'm I'm actually I worked a little bit as an animator on the project, so it kind of became a full circle moment for me to to be able to work on the project that basically inspired me in the first place to become a professional artist. You know, well there you go. Um, yeah, it was it was really it's really awesome. It's it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that like <laughs> I can't believe that it's all led me back here. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> insane, especially since you've really gone down this path being an animator as well. Like, because like you said, you weren't really necessarily going into this field thinking you were going to be an animator. It was gonna, it was the the visual development that you were more focused on so i have to know what exactly when was there was there a particular moment or was there like a particular class or what what exactly triggered a thing in your mind to say hey this animation thing i i should do this um i would say it was it was it wasn't like i don't it wasn't some uh specific eureka moment but i do remember my my very first um my very first animation class uh i can't remember who my teacher was i think um i uh I, oh, I think I, uh, my first teacher, my first, very first animation teacher, his name is Steve Stanchfield. Okay. Um, shout out to Steve if any, if anybody uh, knows him. But uh, Steve Stanchfield, he was the my animation teacher. I think I think this was freshman year. I'm almost positive. But uh, we were doing we were doing lots of small animation tests and things. Um, um, and the way that he taught the class. Because the, the, he he taught the class in such a way where he didn't he didn't want to infer that there was a right or a wrong way to do animation, mm-hmm. um, which I always thought was kind of nice. Because I feel like I feel like um, when I was younger, when I was when I was going through like when I was learning what animation was, a lot of my mindset came from everything has to look like Disney or it's wrong. <laughs> um, so having a person to shake that out of me was was really uh, really nice because by the time I was creating stuff. Um, and I was kind of, I was kind of like loosened the chains of it looks needs to look like Disney. Uh, I was able to like, like to look at my stuff and realize I felt I actually, I really liked the way I made stuff when I made it the way I wanted it to look. 
Um, and and it, it just kind of felt good because by the time I had found a system that worked for me as a like how to like like an animation system that worked for me, it was it was such a breeze and it felt it just I really liked the way that I would make stuff. Well, <laughs> I just go. liked the, the the way the finished project, the uh, finished product would look so much more than I would like like anything else that I had made. I mean, I was like, oh, I got to keep doing this. I, I mean, especially like knowing that it was you that put in the time and effort or whatnot, like having that, like that, I guess the mentality that I kind of carry with some of the stuff of like, if there is a certain thing that I want to see, I'm going to be the one to make it to the way that yes. I want to see it more than anything else. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> can, you, can you think, uh, going back to a little bit when it comes to like inspiration, can you think of some of the like inspirations you could have took to kind of develop your style or was it just something that you just kept like toying around with until you were comfortable with something? Um, I think it was one of these situations where I didn't realize my inspirations until I was actively learning what they were, mm -hmm. uh, which sounds kind of convoluted. But um, um, like one of one of the animators, and I know I just said it doesn't need to look like Disney. Uh, but one of one of the animators that I looked to so strongly was uh, how, what's his name, Milk Call. You know, one of the old the oh, old Disney okay. animators. Yep. Uh, he was he was phenomenal. He's a master at his craft, and I love the way his stuff looks. Um, but it was also really fun for me to start learning uh, the, the individual names of uh, some of the earlier Warner Brothers animators. Because when I was extremely young, I watched a lot of these old Warner Brothers shorts, <laughs> like these old Bugs Bunny yep. uh, Daffy Duck shorts. Uh, and and it, really, it really made sense by the time I was able to pin names to the visuals that I started to realize that that maybe watching those for like 12 hours a day when I was like nine started to actually shape the way I, I created stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it would be like, oh, you know, I'm just I'm just drawing. And then somebody would come by and be like, oh, this reminds me of um, like a like a Chuck Jones look. And I was like, no, it doesn't. I wasn't looking at Chuck Jones when I was making this. <laughs> and I would realize like, oh, my God, I've been looking at Chuck Jones material since I was like a baby. So maybe <laughs> this is like <laughs> Some sort of weird subconscious connection that I didn't even catch, um, and I think I think a lot of that kind of leads its way back because I it, it's one of those things I I never really was like oh these are my inspirations these are the people I want to emulate it just kind of became I would make something and I would be like man you know that looks a lot like a Bill Watterson strip I wonder why <laughs> and then I would realize maybe it's because I've been like like aggressively reading Bill Watterson comic strips or something. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was so weird. It's so weird when, <laughs> when you don't realize something like that is happening subconsciously until you're like, Oh shit. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a weird, like reverse engineering or whatnot. Like something that has been like nurtured into you all these years of like exposing yourself to all these different forms of media. Yeah. The opportunity <laughs> you get to like express yourself and you realize, Oh wait, yeah, that's just been there all along. I'm just more or less unlocking it. That has to be like interesting like just as a student of animation at this point realizing the influence animation has always had on you yeah it's it's really weird to um basically have the basically to learn the vocabulary to describe where i've been learning things because when i was a kid i would just be like oh i just, I just draw like this uh this is just me doing it and then i would realize now 
basically most of the stuff I was making was a was a direct reference to the things I was that the you know the things in my environment you know in 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 all honesty you know people are created from their environment it's just a matter of being self aware of what it is in your environment that's actually in like making you into who you are exactly exactly and I know like getting an opportunity to not only see that truly come out but you know an opportunity for you to really put pen to paper or digital pen to, to screen or however you want to illustrate at this point, the fact that you're actually in the animation right now and get to do some incredible stuff and developing some incredible opportunities, whether it's your own or helping out something one way or another. I know you've, I've seen a lot of incredible opportunities you've been able to have a hand in, especially when it comes to like reanimations or like multi-animated mm-hmm. projects or whatnot. One of the ones I just briefly want to talk about because I loved your little bits in it or whatnot. How was it for you to do a reanimation of the OG Cats 2019 trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was such a fun project. It um, looked fun. I was actually, it was really fun. Uh, mostly because uh, I, between the release of Cats 2019 and doing that trailer, I had moved from not knowing what Cats was to becoming an intense <laughs> Cats fan. <laughs> So like the like the trailer re- I remember when the trailer released and everyone's like what is this this is so ugly this is so weird this feels <laughs> makes me feel uncomfortable and I saw it and I was like this is so weird I need to see this I I need because I had never seen Cats before I'd seen that trailer right. I was like I absolutely need to see this movie I don't know what I'm looking at uh, and I was fortunate enough later on to have a friend who offered to take me to the theater to go see Cats 2019 and I saw Cats 2019. In a completely dead theater with oh, one no. other person, and and my my friend had seen the original stage show before. I didn't not I've not seen anything at this point. I had okay. not seen the stage show. I did not know what the the show was about. I knew I knew the song "Memory" purely because it's the song "Memory." It's like the song yeah. everybody knows. Um, and and I left that theater and I was like. I still don't know what I just watched. I need context. So I watched, I ended up later on watching the, the stage show and I, the stage show is infinitely better than the movie. I hate to diss the movie, but it's infinitely better than the movie. <laughs> to be, okay. Time out. You're, why are you saying that? Like you're doing a disservice to the movie. The movie kind of set itself up for failure when it, it to those designs and stuff. <laughs> it did. I I feel really bad for the people who worked on the movie because to my under, when I the more I learn about the creation of the movie, the more I learn about it was mostly the director's fault that the mm. movie looks like that and that the movie sounds like that and the movie feels like that because they had a all star cast. Yeah, you know, like 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 I- Jennifer Hudson has the most amazing voice in the world. The fact that she didn't like win an Oscar for one of the like for one of the songs that was like a like a top hit for like a majority of the 80s that that is that is on the director that is not her fault yeah and like it, to be fair like all of the people that were working on it like they were they were really trying and the, i think the sadder part was that there were some people who um when i looked at their cast listing were they they had worked in broadway their entire life but this was one of their first movies, which meant that this was going to be like their breakout role. Right. But I'm sure nothing ruins your career faster than your breakout role being Cats 2019. <laughs> so I don't know if these people ever ended up getting jobs. And that really, that really made me feel bad because I, I, I always, I, I liked the stage show 
And I felt like the actors were doing a good interpretation of the characters. It's just the director and the 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 visual style was so abrasive that nobody could look past it, which was one of the things I really liked about being able to redo the um, to basically reanimate the 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 production was that I felt like I had an opportunity to do what I could basically consider an ode to the actors who had put the time in. Mm-hmm. They had they had done all the work. All I was doing was putting a prettier face on it. Yep, yep. I will say definitely came through more than anything else seeing the, the <laughs> little bit that you were able to animate of Jennifer Hudson during the memory song. That was a beautiful yes. little just like moment right there that you animated. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I really I I loved her I loved her performance of memory, but mm-hmm. the thing that really kills me about it was that it was just it was directed so poorly. And I was, and that always hurt me because I was like, "Well, Jennifer Hudson, she's she's such a good singer. She did a she did a really good job with the song. It's literally the only the bigger issue is that she wasn't given. Um, she, first of all, she wasn't giving a backing track, which mm. isn't what you're not supposed to do when you do a movie musical. She should be singing along to at least a click track, but she wasn't. So the 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 orchestra did not know what they were doing, um, which only made her performance sound worse. But like she has such a good voice, it's amazing that they were that they that they they killed her like that. It was like a she, how? How? <laughs> that word right there describes the entirety of that movie. Let's just be honest. Just, yeah. How? How? I mean, I, 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 hell, I'll go on this little rant with you a little bit because I'll be honest. I haven't seen the movie, and I, I'm probably not in the right jurisdiction. But I mean, come on, you have Jennifer Hudson, Idris Elba, Taylor Swift, who I don't really. Not, don't get too much, but like that's a top quality yeah. talent with a amazing voice and like that. Yeah, you have James Corden by me. He's gonna do his role. And he's gonna have fun with it or whatnot. Yeah. You have all these incredible actors and dancers from Broadway and you know musicals and stuff like that. I mean, all this stuff. How do you fuck up so badly? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that. That was really what made me like so confused about it because I remember when I kept seeing the people on the cast list and I was like wow they got Ian McKellen in this movie it must be amazing because Ian McKellen does a great job in every role he plays and he did do a pretty decent job as Gus the theater cat I liked his performance of Gus but the issue with him playing Gus you could tell that he didn't he didn't have anything to work off of um Uh, yeah like you know like you can only act so much in front of a green screen or yeah. you can only act so much if you're covered in like like a mocap suit. Actually they weren't even covered in a mocap suit. I'm giving them too much credit. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? like, like you can only do so much with so little. Yeah. Um Did you did you hear the story of Andrew Lloyd Webber after that movie came out? Oh, like like him kind of like like saying that he didn't approve of it in general. Not okay, not just him approving of it or whatnot. So he had to he had to take like a flight like not too long like a while after. This was obviously like during COVID times or whatnot. Yeah, and and he had brought like I think a dog with him or something like that. And you know, going through TSA and go to they obviously were like you know you know why are you bringing this pet on the plane or whatnot you know that that, that like mm-hmm. i don't do issues you know the getting through security whatnot obviously the the agent asks why do you need this pet with you and he's like i'm andrew lloyd weber i'm the person who is behind cats did you see how badly they they disrespected my i needed <laughs> i need my emotional support animal oh, because, no. <laughs> like i'm i feel so bad for like everyone that was involved with that because like it, it should have been easy I'll just say it bluntly. It should have been easy. P- 
people know cats. People love cats. Like, especially mm-hmm. if you're a Broadway nut. The masses would have came in in full if you had just didn't do it the way you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the, the, I think the bigger thing that always that always really bothered me about it was at, right after I had I had seen Cats 2019 right after I had seen the stage show and I went on like a like an internet rabbit hole, you know, like you do every single time you see a, I do it every time I see a movie. I have to go down yep. like a Wikipedia rabbit hole. And I found out about when they so apparently I'm going to say probably the 90s. I'm throwing a date around. This might be wrong. But apparently in the 90s, uh, right off the the tail, haha, funny joke, of (laughs) of Cat's popularity, um, they wanted to do an animated adaptation of it. Uh, And they they were going to have Amblin, I think it's Amblin, do all of the the animation for it. And there are pieces of – yeah. Yeah, and there were pieces of of, – Concept art and such? Yes, there was there were pieces of concept art that were that that have that still exist from this movie that was never made. Um, and I remember I remember right when uh, when I started doing research on cats and especially after I uh, had done the the reanimate position, uh, part, everybody was talking about, yeah, they should have done this completely animated. Yeah. Um, did you hear there was a version of Amblin animation that was going to do it before? Um and it, it was it was just so crazy to me because it was like I, I feel like everybody was completely in the right for wanting it to be animated. But it was one of those situations where ha- if it was animated, um, people wouldn't have taken it seriously. Uh... And and I know that happens with animation in general. People always think it's for kids. But and, and that 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 is really, I think, the biggest reason why Cats ended up looking the way it did, because you could not have made a Cats movie that was both appealing and not animated without it being a stage show without right. just recording a stage show and no and people don't want to watch stage shows and ju- at least people like i guess they like 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 everyday people big 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 blockbusters basically mm-hmm. you 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 can't make it you can't just record a stage show and release it to to um like theaters you're not gonna you're not gonna make you're not you're not going to win any oscars for that but also <laughs> at the same time if you did a proper animated version of the movie um Nobody would have seen it unless they were taking their kid to go see it. You right, know what I mean? Right. Which so, is just a sad reality. Order, it is. It is such a sad reality because, in all honesty, the only way that they were going to make it the big blockbuster that they wanted it to be was to do exactly what they did. And I mean, I, I don't. I don't remember. I never saw the the. I never saw if they actually made a profit off of it. They did not. But I would assume. I, I, I they can bet. I can bet you they did not. <laughs> I can yeah, bet I, you I how, don't know if with, people hate watched it or not. With how much money that they sank into it, just based on the oh, cast yeah. alone, not including the CGI that they had to pay for or whatnot for those weird, you know, was it like three different cuts or whatnot for it or whatnot? Yeah. Like they did not make their money back whatsoever. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they didn't. Actually, I just looked it up. Yet yeah, the the production budget was ninety five million, and they only made like seventy five million, which is you still know, better than I would have expected. I was so that's actually a little bit more generous on both ends. I thought it would have been at least like a good 100, 125 million for the budget and then like at least 25, 50 million for how much it got yeah. back. I th- I honestly think a majority of that was people watching it for the spectacle, less for it being an adaptation of a musical that they liked. You know, yeah. I think it was like like after everybody saw that trailer, I think a lot of people were like, I like they were like me. They were like, I need to see this in theaters. This looks crazy. I need to know what's <laughs> going on. And they left the they left the theater and they still didn't know what's going on. 
The only, <laughs> no. the only, the only, t- there's only two things I've been able to enjoy from that film ever since it came out. One, the reanimation that you guys were a part of, which again, once again, <laughs> wonderful job. And two, I someone did. taking the trailer of the Batman and dubbing it with the Cats 2019 oh trailer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only yeah, two things I've been yeah. able to enjoy based on Cats 2019. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the the only thing that I took from the movie that I legitimately absolutely adored was the version of Skimble Shanks, the railway cat. And oh, I know man. a lot of people really like that. That was like the only thing from that entire movie that was remotely decent. Uh, and it's because the music is both good and the performance is fun because they got, uh, God, what was the actor's name? I can't remember the name of the actor, but the guy who plays Skimbleshanks is like a professional ballet and tap dancer. Oh, there you so go. So when he does a performance where he does ballet and tap, um, you're actually watching somebody who's competent at their work perform. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was it was a really fun adaptation of uh, of the. I honestly, and, and this this might be a controversial take for people that are Cats fans. I liked the Cats 2019. Skimble Shank song better than I like the stage production version Ooh, of it. All right. Well, uh, I'll be sure to prepare <laughs> myself for wherever pitchforks come my way. Uh, no, <laughs> no, they can take that directly to me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, well, speaking of stuff taken directly to you, if I may, odd transition, mm-hmm. I imagine after working on stuff like that Cats reanimation project, it probably got you a little bit more. Hung- I, 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 I like to imagine it made you hungry for more reanimations to the point to where you got to be a co-director for a multi-animation project of my party oh yes um (laughs) yeah actually i started working on that when i was when i was in school and Mm -hmm. i co-directed it with my buddy dylan marillo uh who is he's the best dylan's the best uh and uh and we we had we kind of set out we were we wanted to do a project that wasn't a school project with as many different people in our class as we could mm-hmm. you know we there we had a large we had a large group of very talented people in our graduating class and also just in the school in general people that weren't necessarily in our graduating class and some of the alumni from our school that we had met earlier that year um and so we we decided hey why don't we why don't we do you know we we, we called an anajam uh I, I know multi-animator project is also another term there's so, yep, there's so yep, many words yep, to yep. describe the same concept but anajam um, i like that one i like that one <laughs> Yeah, Anna Jam's kind of cute, but uh, uh, so basically we kind of set out to chop up the song. We ch- we we kind of we did a little like internal like we'll vote on the best song, and then we all heard my party, and we were like, oh, this one, this one would be the most fun. We have to do this one. Uh, so we we went through the effort of chopping the song up and basically recruiting people from our school that were interested in doing a small section of animation on the project, and it was honestly really really fun because. Uh, not only is it was it a really fun project that I think everybody had a good time working on, but I I got to work directly with um, people that I I just I just didn't know that well. Mm-hmm. You know, people like maybe I maybe I we go to the same school, but maybe I just don't I don't talk to you a lot or something. Um, and the the nice part about that was I ended up getting uh, I ended up getting to work with with people that uh, had previously graduated as like CCS alumni. Um, I got to work with. Um, um, a couple of people that uh, Dylan actually had a couple of connections outside of the school. So even though it wasn't just a like a school, like our school, our grade thing, mm-hmm. uh, I did get to meet some people that I I still know pretty well uh, uh, in the um, that were at other schools uh, that Dylan had known. 
Um, which meant that it was honestly, not only was it a, a really fun project to work on, but it was kind of a great networking opportunity for everybody that was on the project because we all just kind of got to get together and work on like one thing. Um, and I, I would say that like across the board, I most people that I've talked to that were on the project that look back on it really enjoyed the project. They really had fun making it. I mean, I, just, mean, I did too. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it, I, I mean, song aside, because the song is a good choice. It was a great choice for a song. So good. So, song aside, like, it just looked like a fun project just in general, just having, like, providing, like, the most fun a person can in, like, a good couple of seconds when it comes to that. Like, the the wide variety of different animations involved, including your own, was, like, refreshing more than anything else. And I didn't realize this before, but knowing that, like, a good majority of them were people that were in your own graduating class, that just showcases, like, the incredible talent talent that you guys had more than anything else because that was it was wonderfully done it was absolutely outstanding just seeing like i said the different styles the different ideas being able to come to life more than anything else the 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 way that it flew like kind of flowed into one another when it came to the song itself like that was wonderful like what you were able what you guys were able to produce at the end of the day thank you i mean i most of it kind of just came down to um finding you know people that were interested and basically kind of giving them free reign you know mm -hmm. we told them hey uh you this is like you'll have a small section of animation to work on um basically theme it after the word party yep. whatever you consider to be the word party uh and and make sure that it it flows in at least at least try to make it flow with the next person in line so that it looks cohesive and it was really fun seeing how different people interpreted even like the most vague of a of a of a prompt uh, because I like, I guess the song "My Party." It kind of felt like it was like at least to me in the song. I I listen to it and I think of a birthday party. You know, I think a yeah. lot of people do. Um, but I saw some people who interpret it as um, like a like a college frat party or like as a uh, or as like a big like discotheque or even I actually there was somebody on the project who reinterpreted it as a D and D party, which I thought yep. was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> And and I, I thought that was always kind of fun because it meant that everybody had like it, it could be like an extremely personal piece of work so mm -hmm. that they they basically they could do whatever they wanted with that prompt. You know, they were they were they were free to do whatever they considered to be like a fun party. So they had that that personal twist on it. And I feel like it had if we were to if we were to tell them, oh, it has to be a birthday party, it has to fit this color scheme, I feel like it would have been less fun for everyone involved and the project wouldn't have been as uh, uh, as neat as it came out. Right, right. Plus, I imagine more than anything else, like an opportunity to really like work almost like work like as a group just like working together one way or another like it must have been like a good experience especially i don't know how much experience you had beforehand of like running a team but like you know being oh, a yeah. co-director on this like i imagine that was a good experience for you at the end of the day it really was honestly um and and i was i was actually i, I really really liked uh being able to be a co-director so much so that we're actually working on another one right now hey. uh, wink wink nudge nudge it may be out soon i i, I use soon with like large quotations because um <laughs> animation uh, we takes time before covid so you have no idea how <laughs> crazy it's been to try to put it all together but um but yeah, but I mean, like you know, being being a being a co-director, being able to direct on a project in general is kind of it's kind of addictive. I'm not even gonna lie; it's it's very very fun. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, I mean, more than anything else, like just being able to kind of 
lead the charge to provide a fun creative outlet more at the end of the day like hey who am i to complain more than anything else exactly you know i mean it's it's always fun because um uh, especially being a co-director means you have another person to work with, but it's, it's, it's fun to uh, basically do all the check-ins, see how everybody's doing, check on, check up on them at least like once a month, see how they're go how work is going, you know, reason out like dates for them to get stuff finished and mm-hmm. see if they need help with something. And the nice part about being a co-director with such a good team means that honestly, if, if they need help with something, they have the rest of the team to talk to. It's not just them struggling on their own. If they're like, hey, you know, um, I want to think, I'm trying to think of what I can do with this to make it look like, give it this feel. Um, and we've been working out of like a, like a group discord. So somebody in the discord will be like, oh, why don't you try doing this? And somebody else will be like, oh, you know, you could do this with this program. You might be able to do it a little bit faster. Um, which just means it's, it's, it, it, even though I'm a, I am a, a co-director, I feel like, uh, uh, it's it's everybody's working together on a single project like equally almost because no nobody nobody is um no, nobody's like struggling on their own right you know you, you have you have the you have the you have the the uh the the, the power of everybody in on the project who also wants to see you succeed well they yeah no absolutely i can only imagine especially for like a group scenario like that, just being able to, to collaborate and really, like, find a way to get the job done one way or another. But I also imagine, like, you know, again, it's incredible that you're getting the chance to, to co-direct or whatnot, but I imagine you also have some ideas of your own that you want to get out there in one way or another at some point. <laughs> I know one of the biggest ones I want to talk about, and that's mainly because it was something that I seen prominently when it came to, like, your website and such, is The Fisherman's mm-hmm. Wife. I'm oh, yes. very intrigued when it came to this. I have to know... <laughs> First off, for people that have no idea what I'm talking about, how would you describe the fisherman's wife? Fisherman's wife, yeah. And what was the inspiration for it? Um, so the fisherman's wife is a story I've been working on uh, with the hopes of at least making a animated short of um, de- depicting a story of a modern day retelling of the old fable, the fisherman and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the old fable, it was about a fisherman who accidentally catches a magic fish. Uh, and the magic fish will grant him a wish if he lets him go, and he takes him up on that wish. Uh, but uh, when his wife, when the fisherman's wife finds out, she keeps demanding the fisherman to go back, ask the fish for better things, ask him for a better house, ask him for a better career, um, and move on up in, in basically moving up in society until the fish is like, you know what, you've gone too far, you've asked me for too much, this is ridiculous, and the fish uh, punishes them by taking away everything that they've earned. And I always really liked that story. But the thing that I really caught me about the story was that it's basically um, it, it kind of feels like a gambling allegory. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about pushing your luck. Um, <laughs> and when I the moment that I realized that I thought, well, what a better place to set this in than Las Vegas, um, hey. because right around the time I had been. I had uh, right around the time I was working on the project, it was it actually started as a school project, but it's kind of moved beyond that. Mm-hmm. But um, right around the time I started working on the project, literally the summer before I had just been in Las Vegas and I, I loved it. I, I, I really, really liked, um, not only the history of the city itself, it's, it's such a complicated and interesting, uh, history, but also the visual aesthetic that Las Vegas has that you really can't find anywhere else. Um, maybe in Reno, (laughs) I mean, maybe (laughs) big if on that one, but, uh, but Vegas itself has such a distinct, like, like kitschy campy like nightlife to it that you really it, it you don't see anywhere else 
Absolutely. You really did. And I was, I, I really wanted to, to make, so my story, The Fisherman's Wife, was supposed to be about a man named Fisher uh, who works as a lounge singer at a casino um, and his wife, Catherine, who works as a cigarette girl at the same casino. Uh, lucky them, they get to work together. And <laughs> Fisher has a personal relationship with the casino owner, Hal. Um, mm. And because of this personal relationship, he has the ability to ask Hal for, you know, be, like, be asking him for like, oh, well, you know, my wife, she is kind of, she doesn't really like her job. You know, could she get maybe a could she interview for a nicer job at the casino um and in in and the idea was that as uh, as kate the the like fisher's wife as she finds nicer nicer jobs she kind of gets a little power hungry for them and realizes right. that she wants to take over the casino herself but the issue with that is now um fisher has to deal with either trying to appease his wife whom he loves he loves his wife but um she's kind of getting a little crazy about this or if he wants to help his friend who honestly is in kind of a rough place right now because he's owning a casino that could go down at any moment right um so the 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 story that i was basically working on was trying to find ways to sell that story is like a is a concept because i i i always thought it would i always thought like you know oh i'll do like a like a like a little piece of animation for it but the more i work on it i'm like i don't know i kind of want this to be like an animated series in the future but that that is that is a far future far far future uh situation because that will be very pricey <laughs> i mean <laughs> no matter how far how close it could be in the future it's something i definitely intrigued to see a lot more of just the little taste i was interested to get i really did love more or less like the sleek style that you got going along with it because i imagine that was kind of the, mm -hmm. the feel you wanted to go for especially being that 1960s lounge singer you know las vegas that you were talking about just kind of the, the city slicker style almost in a way yes um and i imagine like that was probably a major thing in order to be able to tell this story more than anything else because hearing obviously the fact that you wanted to give a a more or less a fun adaptation to a classic tale more than anything else like that's just it's entertaining to see more or less how that interpretation has come along more than anything else like just especially seeing like the character designs that you have for like Kate and Fisher or whatnot, like those mm -hmm. I I'm I, I I've only been given crumbs when it comes to this little piece <laughs> right here, but I am hungry for more when it comes to what you've been able to to produce more than anything else. Like, when did you realize that this thing more or less snowballed from like a school project to something that you want to make a full fledged thing? Um. Well, it started off in so the the very the first time that I started working on the project was for a it was like they called a it was like a, basically a character concept art class. Okay. Um, and the, the, the assignment that I had to work on was I was given a, I was basically, we were all handed out different, um, like old, like Grimm's tales, Grimm's fairy oh. tales, like fables or whatever. And I was given, and I had never heard of this one before, but I was okay. given the fisherman and his wife. And I, I liked it. I liked it. I started working on the project. Um, I basically, I solidified characters and concepts uh for that assignment uh and i kind of i kind of just kind of set it on the shelf for like a couple months because i had to finish school not, i wasn't yeah, really gonna be messing yeah. with it too much um but i by the time like summer came back around and i was back home and i was like you know i i kind of liked what i was doing with these characters i want to pick them up again um and I, so i started doing more development on them and by that time uh i started going into my senior year uh 
and I, my for my senior year you, for at least at CCS, you have to do a senior film. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I could do a senior film of this thing that I'm just extremely passionate about right now. Um, and I, I granted, I have not finished the film. <laughs> um, COVID was rough, but I uh, tell me about I didn't it. Finish the film. <laughs> yes, but I, I but during during the filmmaking, I was able to basically sit down and better workshop. Okay, well, what do what do I want the themes of the story to be? Uh, how can I better refine the characters of the story? Um, basically, I was I was going down. I was researching. Las Vegas history. I was researching uh, casino management. Um, <laughs> that made my my uh, it, which was honestly really really funny because all that made Google think was that I really wanted a job at a casino. <laughs> so it was like you should apply to work at the Motor City, and I was like, I don't think I will. Thanks, Google. <laughs> um, at least at least it's nice yeah. to know that Google's thinking about you and your career opportunities at some point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, oh, you you want to you want to be a blackjack dealer so bad, and I'm like, no, I don't. But thanks, anyways. <laughs> um, but it was it was really fun because the more that I I re- it was one of those things where like just researching Vegas was like a gift that just kept giving, honestly. Because the more I research it, the more I find things that I like, and the more that I find things that I like, the more I want to incorporate them into the story. Right. And and I when I started the project, I wasn't really I wasn't really sure of like a lot of Las Vegas history. I knew that there were casinos. I knew that there was like a nightlife to it. I knew it's been around for like a while. Uh, I, I, but, but like the more that I, that I started researching into it, I was finding stuff about, um, um, things like things that I, I would not have expected to find material for. Like when I, when I was researching it, I was looking at stuff from the neon museum, which is like a little museum in Vegas that, that preserves all of the old casino neon. And it was really cool. And when I was there, I saw um, a piece of neon. It was kind of like, like, like shoved into the back. It was not a very special looking thing, but it was, it was, it was a giant red sign with a, with like a, like a, um, a martini glass on it. And it said the red barn. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. And I asked the guy about it and he was like, yeah, the Red Barn was actually the first like the first like major gay bar in Vegas oh, around wow. like 19. I want to say like like late 50s, okay. early 60s. Like in this that is that is early in terms of uh in terms of like queer history, especially like out queer history. Yes. Um um that is that is early. That is mad early. Um and the more that I read about it, the more I was like, Oh my gosh, it's it's really, really cool to know basically the concept of, of how how this place was able to more or less thrive yeah. in a major city during not definitely not a uh, not not a very good time if you were uh, if you were an out uh, out member of the uh, of the queer community right um and then that also made me start doing research about other things and i started learning about um there was a there was a casino it in so there was a um i don't i don't know how many people know about this but uh uh in in las vegas history the strip the actual vegas strip was um it was segregated like oh, wow. like a lot of areas in american culture uh and i didn't know that though to be fair i was not like i i just did it was one of those things i was just not thinking of until i learned it and i was like oh my gosh that really puts into perspective what i'm looking at right um in terms of uh like vegas history but the really interesting thing about that was even though the strip was segregated 
um, areas outside of the strip necessarily weren't or weren't as heavily segregated. So when I learned that there was a casino off of the strip, um, it, it, it was called the Moulin Rouge. Uh, it was a French themed casino. Um, but it was the first integrated casino in Las Vegas history. Um, it That's was one insane. of the only, yeah. And it was, this was in 1956, I think. Okay. And this was before this was this was before the uh, the strip was was desegregated uh, desegregated. So this was this was very early. So people of of all races were working both front and back of the casino, which was very unheard of. And to my understanding, there was um there was there were multiple casino owners at once, but uh one of the casino owners, I'm pretty certain was a black celebrity. I wish I could remember his name. I I wish I could. My 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 brain is not good at remembering the, names if you can't tell, but I, I was going to um, say like I I could be probably very wrong, but like obviously the first thing that I come that I think that comes to mind is, you know, black celebrity probably around that time frame or whatnot. Would Sammy Davis Jr. be the guy? No, it, no I okay. don't think it wasn't a singer. I think he was a sports hero, actually. Oh, okay, okay. So, my, I do not remember. I'm not. I'm not as tuned into sports as um, <laughs> other people might be, unfortunately. And even then, like you know, um, I can narrow it down to so many different people. Again, first person came out probably like Joe Lewis or something like that. But again, I it might you know it might have been Joe Lewis. Honestly, okay. I might it, I might be misremembering, but it might be Joe Lewis. But I mean, it was one of those things where it was like it was it was really interesting to learn that this was such a specific part of vegas history and nobody ever talks about this no you know it's one of those things where it's like nobody when people think of las vegas they think of like elvis and and i don't know mgm Mm. uh and uh, don't get me wrong i think i think elvis is funny and i think mgm's (laughs) a a cool casino but like there there there's so many different things about like las vegas that i feel like were one of those things it was when i was researching this project I it was what it, I was realizing that there was there was so much more of a richer story to the city than I feel like I was being told at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, my entire like like drive now with this with this uh, story kind of comes down to basically uh, providing a more intensive and accurate representation of early Las Vegas because so much of it's so heavily glamorized. It's like oh, it's the city with the mob. It's the city with um, and I know it's, I just suggested the glo- the mob was glamorized, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, there was the mob and there was like Elvis, but I feel like we're glossing over some like really interesting pockets of, of history. And I was like, hi, that's what, that was half the reason that I really wanted to set it in like 1960. Because 1960 is such a, a, a an odd time period in, in Vegas history because this is like, I would say like during the height of the mob, but also like right around the era of, of, of uh, the civil rights movement right. and right around the era of, of um, basically a major jump in technology, which definitely changed the way that casinos and, and the strip in general operated. Um, and I feel like that, that, that kind of, that kind of theme of, of change was something I really wanted to, to work on because in all honesty, the story of the fisherman's wife is about handling change and how to do it basically with grace and maturity. Right. Um, and what happens if you basically don't do that with grace and maturity? And it was always something I really wanted to focus on. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, man, and all, all of this hyperfixation on all these different things just came from a story about a guy catching a fish. I mean, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> if nothing else, 
I already had a lot of love and appreciation for this concept whenever I saw the little bits of it. Just hearing mm-hmm. you go all in on this kind of stuff gives me infinite more like love and appreciation <laughs> for it because it's absolutely incredible knowing like how much you're devoting to this concept. So I'm certainly <laughs> intrigued to see whenever you whenever more gets done with this more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I can I can sit down. I still have um, basically the bits and the pieces of what I was working on for my senior project. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping I can probably sometime in the future find time to sit down. Okay. Pull the best parts out of it and and reassemble it into like a like a fake trailer or something, just so I have like a piece of something that I can put somewhere and be like, yeah, this is this is the project that I'm looking at. There you um, go. Which basically is a is a launch pad for anything I would want to do in the future. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm, again, I'm certainly intrigued by that. And while that may be something that's obviously way far in the future, or whatnot, like I know this mm-hmm. to be like just incredible, like just getting excited for that kind of stuff and being able to present yourself more than anything, especially with this this kind of stuff with this concept, like putting oh, yourself totally. out there like that. Another way that you've been able to put yourself out there and the way that I've certainly gotten to know you more than anything else, even though we haven't really talked more than anything else is the <laughs> comics you tend to put for yourself, your diary little comics, mainly with the, uh, the wonderful entity known as uncle stinky. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I'll just start by bluntly asking this. How did you come up with the idea of producing these comics about yourself? Um, well I, okay. So I, kind of i never really considered myself to be a comic creator mm-hmm. um but i started to realize that a lot of the things that i liked were comics so when i started kind of sitting down and i was like oh you know um i don't consider myself naturally funny but so every once in a while i'll think of a funny punchline i need to put it somewhere <laughs> and i'll i'll i'd probably look to a comic to do that and i started to the, the more that i started making um comic material the the better i understood how comics work right you know it's one of those things like a learning on the job situation um and i honestly i really liked the opportunity to do kind of like a more personal thing because in all honesty a lot of the stuff i make is heavily uh separated from myself i don't live in las vegas but i like las vegas right um i (laughs) i'm not a theater product i'm not a theater actor but i like cats um so i mean these like so it was an opportunity for me to basically kind of focus and hone in on myself personally mm-hmm. um which is not something i was very uh i'm very used to uh and even today i still like i'll still make something i'm like this is too personal i probably shouldn't put this on the <laughs> internet and the next thing i know i'm posting it <laughs> but um uh, i it was it was just kind of an opportunity for me to just kind of like look at myself more is like a like the same way I would probably look at like a movie, you know what I mean? Okay. Like I, it was a way to like pull myself away from um, my life to re-examine it, uh, and 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 mostly just as an excuse to um, um, talk about things that interested me at the time because a lot of them, some of my earlier ones with uh, Uncle Stinky, were <laughs> talking about art and and creation and the concept of like. Um, the art versus the artist or or stuff like that and it kind of gave me that opportunity to kind of sit down and 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 think about things that sounds so vague when i say it but that's the best way i can put it i mean at the end of the day you're putting stuff out there about yourself so you can describe it a million different ways if you want i'm just gonna say yeah that sounds about right um (laughs) but 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's incredible that you're putting yourself out there like that and really put yourself on full blast. But the thing that, obviously, a lot of people will probably ask is they'll see these, like, you know, fun little comics about you, and they're going to wonder just exactly who is Uncle Stinky. Like, I illustrate. <laughs> so, who is Uncle Stinky, for those who do not know, and what does he more or less represent? Um, So, Uncle Stinky, I made him in my i think it was sophomore year of college for an animation project one of these many animation projects i was working on um basically had to do a lip sync um to a any piece of audio we wanted and i found a piece of audio from the aladdin stage musical where Ah. the original voice actor for jafar had a absolutely fantastic line delivery but i didn't just want to animate jafar you know that i don't think i i I kind of want to do something else. So I kind of made this non-specific pointy guy, this large pointy guy that I could work with. I wanted him to look kind of sharp, mildly, mildly disconcerting and, and a little bit goofy. Um, I was actually, I was actually looking at a lot of early like, birds while I was creating him. So he ended up just becoming a bird in his own right. Um, and, and he, he stood in for my, the, for the, the, the Jafar villain character for that piece of animation. But I just, <laughs> I just couldn't stop drawing him. He was so he was so fun to draw, and the more that I would draw him, the more I would I would better understand like who he was as like a character, um, and he's kind of become a personification of of I would call like car- like cartoonish villainy, mm-hmm. and like a <laughs> like the concept of of like a like a Saturday morning villain where it's like. I don't know, like a Doctor Evil type, where he, he like he's he like he poses no actual threat because he's too incompetent to be one. Um, <laughs> and in in the um in the diary comics, uh, for a period of time, I was always like portraying him almost as like some sort of evil tulpa, mm-hmm. because I, that was always funny to me. The idea that like it's he's like a, like a overgrown devil on your shoulders like situation. Um, so in a, in a lot of the comics that I would make with Uncle Stinky, he kind of personifies this idea of, of um, um, like, I, I don't know, I would almost call him maybe like a, like an intrusive thought or like a, or like your, 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 your instinct to be a little bit weird or a little nasty. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, and, and I, which always lended me to be a little bit, it was always helped me with these comics because uh, the last thing I want is, is, uh, people to look at my, like my depiction of myself and think she's crazy she's insane <laughs> uh instead i can i can deflect that all over to a fake man who doesn't exist and they can be like that's a weird guy uh, <laughs> what a weird guy over there um so i mean a lot of the a lot of the 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 comics that i would make in all honesty you know whatever whatever stinky is saying is by technicality something that's happening in my own brain i just can put it to a different person for a for a better back and forth so i can actually create dialogue instead of just being me sitting in a chair speaking to the audience right (laughs) i'll have somebody else to talk to even if it's uh uh uh, this weird guy the weird big bird (laughs) I do have to say, I really do love and appreciate when you do that in a literal sense of like having the conversation like in the chair or whatnot, whether it be mm-hmm. like just having Uncle Sticky be the quote unquote therapist or whatnot, whenever, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. I just write sounds like <laughs> LOL XD, <laughs> <Something like that. laughs> LOL LMAO. <laughs> and say either that or what was it? One of my favorite ones that one of the ones that I saw that I just absolutely loved was doing the, the, the peanut style uh, for oh, us. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you just going off about that kind of stuff and, and Uncle Sticky's just like are you telling me that you just did this whole entire thing just so we could have this visual gag? Yeah. 
I yeah. I have to ask this. Like, I can only imagine. Like, especially with how you've been able to to use him when it comes to these comics or whatnot. Would you say that like this these diary comics or whatnot? Would you say it's almost almost like kind of a therapeutic experience for you to be able to express your thoughts and get yourself out there? Yeah, honestly, I I I wouldn't have thought that like when I started making them, but the more that I do them, I'm I'm realizing this is basically my stand-in for like journaling or for like like having like talk this isn't a this isn't a replacement for talking to a therapist but right. it certainly is a helpful uh uh like uh uh addition um and and it it was honestly kind of fun because it it gave me the opportunity to do basic i would assume that me doing these comics is about the same as a person journaling their feelings but mm-hmm. the only difference is that i make the i make the drawing i make them funny <laughs> Um, um, but it, it, it's, it's kind of nice though, because, uh, even though I, I, I talk about things that maybe are a little heavy, a little heavier handed, you know, things about like depression or, or anxiety or like the, 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 like, especially I like to talk, I, a lot of, some of them are about like the anxiety of performance, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a big factor that <laughs> kind of drives, uh, my, my, my need to create things, um, is the feeling that I have to be performing, um, and, and doing something like that, when I put them into a comic, I feel like I can, I can make a little bit light of the situation, right. um, in such a way where people don't look at this as like a call to like a call for help. Like, cause in all honesty, these aren't necessarily supposed to be like, like a call for help. They're just supposed to be like a way for me to reexamine my feelings and, and put them into a, a little bit more of a lighthearted situation. <laughs> Just so that I, if, if people resonate with them, they do. And if they don't, you know, at least they laughed or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know the best way for that, that I, I kind of saw that was there was a strip that you did. I forget how long ago it was. It was, it was talking about like you thinking about like, I guess your appearance or something like that in the bathroom talking about mm-hmm. like, you know, how much it is like being comfortable with yourself and how you feel like your hair grown out and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. versus like, you know, trying to appease others or something along the lines of that, you know, like getting those thoughts out there. And then the last panel is just uncle stinky eating a bar of soap. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, again, like you said, it, it's not exactly the replacement for therapy, but I imagine more than anything else being able to contextualize and get those thoughts more or less out there. Like it must be good, almost a little bit relieving for you to get those emotions or those thoughts just out of your body and out there on something. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the, the thing that really, drives me to keep doing it almost has been the 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 public response i've gotten for it um because ever since i've posted a couple of these i've had people basically come to me and be like um nobody else has been able to put into terms exactly how i feel until i saw this comic so thank you for being able to explain it especially the one that i made about um about facial hair uh i i i i have an abnormally large amount of facial hair for somebody who is who's uh who is of a woman like me, like born a woman, I, 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 I but my testosterone levels are ex- extremely high okay. for being um, a cis woman. Um, but uh, so, so I have facial hair, and and that's something that kind of that kind of bothers me at least a little bit. Is I I'm very comfortable with having facial hair, but other people may not be. Um, so when I made that comic about like, you know, it's it's kind of hard to find the sweet spot between being like 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 happy with myself versus making sure other people are also happy with me um and and i saw somebody basically reply to it like 
like, yeah, I'm, I'm in this exact same boat. I'm glad somebody else was able to put it into context. And, and it felt really good to realize like, oh, you know, I, I can be kind of, I can, I can kind of divulge these extremely personal, maybe even a little, little two TMI, uh, uh, uh situations and people still resonate with them. Um, cause it's, it's nice to not feel alone, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Also a little side note. I'm just going to say there's no shame in having a beard whatsoever. Uh, I mean like if nothing else I've seen, like obviously the strips or whatnot, but you recently posted like Polaroid pictures that you and a friend took or whatnot. Like you rock it. Mm-hmm. Like you own up to it. Like <laughs> I, I appreciate what you got going on. Like it's, it, you doing good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I wish it would grow a little bit higher on my on my chin just yeah. so that it didn't look like I was wearing it like a chin strap. But, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll deal with what I've got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll say, like, to be fair, it's better to have, like, the chin strap than the full on, like, neck beard like I kind of got oh, going yeah. on like that. Yeah. This is just so a pain. Like, every, like, couple weeks or when I got, I just get to, like, a certain point that I'm, like, comfortable with because, like, it just gets, mm-hmm. like, scraggly and all that stuff. And, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. But uh, I have to ask also as well, like, Think of all the strips and all the emotions you've been able to get out when it comes to these strips. Right? Do you have a personal favorite strip that you have produced? Um, actually, I would I would probably say that my personal favorite was I did a I did a parody on a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip um, that I would I would consider as my favorite uh, purely because. Well, I really like Calvin and Hobbes. I've liked it since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I feel like um, I, I basically did a, a, a one-to-one reference of a, of one of these old com- like Calvin and Hobbes comic strips where he was talking about um, basically uh, creating things for – I'm trying to remember what the context of the original strip was. I think it was like Calvin was drawing something and he was trying to get um, Hobbes to, to resonate with it from like a like – a, materialistic standpoint like the idea of like a monetary standpoint like trying to sell art or whatever right and Hobbes was critiquing him for his basically his lack of art ability <laughs> um and, <laughs> which was which was really really funny because that was essentially the exact dynamic I wanted to I wanted to um depict with the the comic strip I was I was telling because this was part of a series where I was I was basically riffing on some of the old Sunday comic styles to better sell the idea of like um what makes comics interesting mm-hmm. um so it was it was kind of fun to to basically go in and emulate a style that i adored while also recontextualizing the the visual appearance of a comic strip that i also really liked <laughs> um and and what i was honestly i really liked the way it came out um i know like a couple people were very very nice and told me that i did a really good job emulating the bill watterson style there uh, you which go. <laughs> <laughs> which I was I was extremely proud to hear because that was I was I finished it and I was like I don't know if this really looks like the right thing or <laughs> this really looks like him because uh he it's kind of hard to copy a master so it's a little difficult um but people were really uh kind about that one and I I just I really liked the way that it came out I honestly I enjoy most if not all of the comics I've made um like the little personal ones uh, I just, I just have so much fun making them. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. And more than anything else, like, especially having that like emotional personal connection to it, like probably gives a greater appreciation to it, especially when, like you said, like you have people out there that see these strips and like connect with it on a very personal level as well. Like mm-hmm. seeing the people that like, whether it be through the comics or whether it be like the animations or reanimations you've been a part of, does it amaze you more or less like the community you've been able to develop on your own? 
Yeah, I I am still in complete awe that people like take time out of their day to look at and then sometimes comment on the things that I make. Um, because I I uh, I I I didn't I didn't I didn't really have like a like an internet presence for a, a long time. Like I I was maybe I was on Tumblr, but I wasn't posting art until maybe high school. Um, and even then, when I was posting a, like art during high school, I I you know you're when you're when you're posting like creative material, you're always comparing yourself to everybody else. Right. Um, right. And and I I still do that even today. I'm 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 constantly like, oh, you know, guilty as a, guilty I, I made as well. something, <laughs> but yeah, like you, you like there's like this like intrinsic need to like like compare yourself against others, even if you're like even if you are completely self-aware, you're like, I know that this is not good for me. I know this is bad. I know I shouldn't be comparing myself to each other. And then I'll like I'll see somebody's art on my timeline, like, damn, why can't I make something like that? Mm. Why can't I do that? <laughs> it's like, and and it's one of those things where it's like it, it's I'm I'm in I'm, I'm genuinely amazed that there are people that 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 follow me, um, because it's like oh don't you have a better thing better things to do with your life? But it's like oh but it it, it kind of solidifies the idea that like maybe 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 I am doing a good job. Maybe I am actually like making things that are worthwhile. Um, you know it 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 feels good to know that there are people out there that um that actively look for and, and actively enjoy the, the things that I make because especially because when you make something, um, you kind of get tired of it by the time you're finished with it. So you'll sit there and you'll be like, is this even worth posting? Is this even worth other people's time? Um, and you don't, you, you're like, you're so unsure of that. And, and it, it feels good to know, like to have that, that justification of like, Oh yeah, people did like this. They did enjoy that little thing I made. I was gonna say, Senna, you don't know how much I am related to you so badly right now when it comes to stuff. Like, I don't think I do that much when it comes to like comparing myself to others more than anything else mm-hmm. that as much. But like, you know, having the constant question of like, why are you guys following me? There's like, you know, such and such, there's that and that and this. Or like, you know, working on something for a while and then like pushing it out there and just thinking, like, was that even good? I don't even know. That 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 Yeah. But also keep in mind that we're also talking about the internet just as a whole. More oh, than anything yes. else. Do you realize how many people are out there, especially what large majority or what large percentage of them are producing incredible art on their own? I mean, exactly. And the, exactly. If, if the people that followed us and the people that, you know, add the comments or whatnot did not appreciate the art that you did, or did not appreciate the stuff that we did, like especially for you with the art that you've been able to produce and the emotion that you put into this kind of stuff. If they did not love and appreciate that, they could literally just unfollow you and move on. It is that easy exactly. to do that on today's internet? <laughs> yeah, you're basically like, I, I I hate to say that like like you're you're kind of you're kind of performing for an audience, but it, to, to be it, to be a, a creator on the internet nowadays, you have to be, you have to be, um, everything. You have to be the main show. You have to be the, the, the warmup. You have to be, you have to be the person selling it. You have to be the person who's pushing for it. You have to be your own agent yep. sometimes. Um, and it's really, really hard to encapsulate like what should be like 30 different jobs into one single job just to make sure that people are interested in what you're creating in yes. what is what is a very noisy noisy internet 
Yes, yes, indeed. But also, like, at the end of the day, at least the one thing that I realized when it comes to the internet is you have to be genuine when it comes to all this kind of yes. stuff. Because people can, people can see be, people can see bullshit from half a mile away. Let's be honest. Yes, I, just, I yes. Like, so just, just look at, like, NFT bullshit alone. Like, people recognize oh, that shit God, from half yeah. a mile away. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, especially on today's internet, if you're not genuine, people are going to sniff that out really quickly and they can just move on from whatever. So, yeah, yeah. it's... It, it is a juggling act, obviously, but at the same time, like, I think I can speak personally seeing the stuff that you've been able to do and seeing the stuff you've had a hand in. You've done a good job. You've done a really good job with what you've been able to do. And I mean, thank you. Thinking about the stuff that you just talked about, think of all the stuff that you have had a hand in. Just even thinking to, like, as far back as you can, like, being involved with all this, does it amaze you more or less how far you've come along on this art journey? Yeah. Honestly, um, it's one of those things where you don't really think about how far you've come until you start looking at where you've been. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that's not an abnormal feeling by any means. I think that's the only way you can really contextualize it. Um, but like, like I was looking at stuff that um, I've been. I was doing some file management earlier today, and I was like going through folders and folders and folders of material. Mm -hmm. And I was finding some really old stuff, and I was like, "Oh my god, I used to think this was good." And it's like one of those <laughs> things where, where it's like, "Oh, you don't really realize how much you've grown until you start looking at some of the stuff that you used to create, or like some of the like some of the places that you used to be." And you're like, "Oh, you know, maybe maybe I am actually improving." Because sometimes you really will sit there and you'll be like, "Oh, you know, I really don't feel like I'm improving that much. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm not making anything new. I feel like I'm kind of stagnant." And then you'll open up something you made in 2016. You'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. What was I thinking in 2016? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like you like sometimes you just need to, like, look at something that you made, like, five years ago and be like, actually, never mind. I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not even just like looking back and seeing like just what you've done when it comes to the creative aspect, but also like thinking of all the stuff that you've been able to do so far and think of all the people oh, that have been yeah. along the ride, like, you know, supporting you in one way or another. Like, again, it has to be amazing thinking just how far you've come along on this and how far you have to go. It really is. Honestly, if you if you had told me um, in 2012 that I was going to be working on a film adaptation of basically my most beloved piece of media <laughs> I, w I wouldn't have believed you i thought you were lying i would think you were lying to me i think i would think you were blatantly lying to me and i would be like haha very funny um why would you say that to me but it's one of those things where it's like i i wouldn't i would never have seen that coming i wouldn't i would absolutely never have seen that coming the same way that i i never kind of saw becoming an animator coming or i never really saw <laughs> i never really saw becoming a cats fan coming you know <laughs> um <laughs> They're kind of they're kind of things that sneak up on you. Um, when and honestly, all that really does is make me really interested to know where I'll be sitting in like a year from now because I have no idea. I have oh. no idea what's going to be happening in a year from now. Um, I, trust me, it, especially, especially let's be honest, especially with just the past year or two alone, how wild and insane <laughs> they have been. There's no telling yeah. what the next year has in, in store for us. <laughs> oh, absolutely no telling. Um, I'm I'm expecting like like three more uh, like like pot like like situations that may end in like the world ending or something. I mean, I'll, I will I will be genuinely surprised if we get to the end of this this month without me hearing another like doomsday prediction. Like, come on. <laughs> end of this month, you're being generous. I'm expecting the end of this week. <laughs> end of this week, <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. goodness. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's get away from the doomsday scenario for oh, this course, next question <laughs> because if I if I may for this next question, I want to go a little bit above and beyond for this one. I want to give you more okay. or less the dream scenario, if I may. Oh my goodness. Let's say I am big shot, Mister Moneybags. I come up to you and I'm like, look, Senna, you have been producing some incredible stuff, and we know that. There's there's just a gold mine of stuff waiting to come out. We just need to give you that little extra <laughs> push more than anything else. We have access yeah. to anyone and everyone in whatever art industry possible. And more money than there should be possible. We should probably be prepping for whatever doomsday that is going to be happening <laughs> in the next couple of days or so. We'll focus on that in a second. Right now, we are focusing on you and you alone. If given yes. this opportunity, what would be the Dream Senna Church project? Oh, my gosh. Um... I think it's it, probably I would I would love to in the future be able to make an animated um uh what's it called uh uh um oh my gosh what what is it called when it's like a TV show but it's only like one season uh mini series I think would be the mini series that is the phrase thank you okay just want <laughs> to make sure yeah no you're right uh an animated miniseries um for the fisherman's wife okay i i would i would genuinely really really like to head a project where i get to work on something like that with people that are you know really talented in their field i i i did enjoy being a director i would i would like to keep doing that um a couple of times uh i would love to see a miniseries duty um hand-drawn adaptation of that of that production that only sees i would like to only be you know simple one mini series get it over in us in a season no more no less kind of situation i i feel like it would be it would be too too um too easy for me to be like well we should keep going but i <laughs> i you know what i i feel like some of the best things i some some of my favorite things have been mini series and i feel like the mini series is good because it gives you more time than a movie but not so much time that you can completely like implode on yourself right right you know like like (laughs) like some of my favorite things were mini series like over the garden wall i think is like one of the best one of the best examples of like how effective a mini series is it did not need to keep going on but you couldn't have done it in a movie you know what i mean Mm -hmm. absolutely oh go on no i was gonna say yeah but that's that's just yeah, like a, 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 I think a mini series would be absolutely amazing. A, a 2D, 2D animated mini series released an episode at least maybe like once a week or once every two weeks, um, and then put it uh, somewhere, somewhere accessible for people. Uh, if 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 this theoretical um, if this theoretical Netflix Hulu uh, place <laughs> decides to take my thing down, I'm putting it up on YouTube. No, oh, yeah, I'm putting it up on YouTube. I will I will I will make sure people can find my stuff. I'll say hell, just <laughs> just put well, you can put it up on YouTube in the first place, and nothing will affect it. You'll still get the monetization and everything. Exactly. Okay, like, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> put it up on YouTube then. Love that. There you um, go. <laughs> it might it might get demonetized though. It's a no, nah, that's fine. Day, right? Fuck it. We'll, we'll take care of Google. Don't worry we'll about it. We'll take it. Okay. Mr. Moneybags will take care of the Google aspect of it. We'll get, make goodness. sure you get that money for it. All right. <laughs> Thank goodness. But yeah, go. like a, yeah, just a, a mini series adaptation of that would be phenomenal. I have, I have always wanted the, the, the big thing about it that would make it pricey would be music licensing because oh, yeah. all of the music that I would love for it, it's like, like shit that would cost like, like thousands of dollars to license. 
thousands upon thousands of thousands of dollars. I mean, to be fair, I mean, to be fair, like, especially for the aesthetic that you're trying to go for, that 1960s classic, like, crooner Mornay thing else, like, you know what? I don't blame you for having this, having that being the biggest (laughs) chunk of the money that isn't making sure that the animators are perfectly compensated Mornay thing else. So, absolutely. Yeah, but if absolutely. I do say so, as Mister Moneybags, I think that'll be money well spent if I do say so myself. <laughs> but hopefully, sadly, we gotta get down from the dream scenario. We gotta get back Aww. to reality. I know. I'm sorry. I don't have to do this, <laughs> but I have to because I'll ask the ever so generic question: Where do you hope yep. to see yourself say five to ten years from now? I would love a studio job. Okay. Um, I'm currently working freelance, and freelance is great. But the problem with freelance is it's all gig work, yep. and I'm constantly hustling for my next job, and I'm kind of tired of that. Um, I would like a full studio job, but the only problem with that is that I'm seeing them less and less. You know, I'm seeing more gig work popping up across um, across the industry, and I'm seeing shorter studio contracts. And that makes me really nervous because I would like to go to my job, do my work, and then come home at a good time and still get paid decent. And I can't believe that it is such a high request for me to be making these days. Huh. It's almost as if the entire process is flawed in one aspect for another for some sad reason, even though that animation is probably one of the most, you know, profitable and at least one of the most uh, uh, prominent fields that are out there that's really helping our society from not burning itself to the ground because there's so much creativity out there in the world. It's insane to think that. Huh. It's crazy. Yeah, that's, a, that's just a thought. It's just a random thought. It's just a but, thought, yeah. But you know what? Back to the, the studio job. You know what? Again, valid. Very valid. And yeah. Especially if you can get that hopefully sooner than five years. But if you can get that, <laughs> I, I, I completely understand. And I'm right at, right there with you. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be doing studio work. I'd love to be, you know, making um, things on the side. And I would love to have studio work that allows me to have time for to make stuff by myself because i know that that's also a pretty big ask these days i know right it's insane um (laughs) (laughs) again both of them very valid and honestly i sincerely hope you get that opportunity to do that stuff really hoping for it (laughs) as we start to wind down the interview i just have one last question i want to ask obviously you're deeply entrenched in art in one aspect for another whether it be you know Mm -hmm. the the different animation stuff or the comics i mean you've been entrenched for as long as you can remember before you can remember according to your mom how how important is art not just for you but for the world as a whole um i think it's completely vital i think i think we would fall apart without it um i i've seen a lot of people um talking about how uh that the the very recent push for everybody to become STEM majors has seriously harmed our ability to look uh, look at society in like a like to look at society and be able to recognize you know things like patterns things like like arts and humanities because if you, if those aren't enforced not enforced but like if people if people don't learn you know arts and humanities then I mean like what are you going home to Yep. You know, you're going to sit there, you can do math, you're going to do math all day, you're going to come home, you want to do more math, or do you want to watch a movie, you know? Um, I, I, <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things, I, I genuinely think that, like, like, without art, there's, there's kind of, like, no, this sounds dramatic, there is no reason to live if you don't have art or something, because 
I mean, like it's it was it's it's pretty obvious that like. It, historically, um, humans, whenever we have free time, we yeah. create, you know, and and the 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 drive to create and the drive to to uh, basically spectate creation is something that I don't think I I think is so deeply ingrained into the human experience that it you it, it's you wouldn't be able to live without it. They, you just wouldn't, you know. <laughs> very valid point and wonderfully worded, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Uh, so that's all the questions that I have for you today. Um, I've already deeply entrenched you. Uh, I've already uh, showered you with a whole bunch of praise. But I'm going to show you with a little bit more because it's my podcast. I do whatever the fuck I want. Um, <laughs> look, ever since I've gotten a chance to really get first introduced to you and get to really immerse myself in your art or whatnot, it's just been fun seeing the stuff you've been able to put out there and seeing the stuff that you've had a hand in more than anything else. I, I love your art style and I love the art, the comics and stuff that you're pushing out there because – uh, for so many different like levels of respect, the fact that you're able to do this kind of stuff, the fact that you're putting yourself personally out there, like it's commendable, and I I love just about everything that you push out there. Being able to sit down with you, get really talk with you, and get to to truly know more about you and like the the motivation and the history and, and, and like everything that's kind of led up to this point and what's pushing you forward, like whatever level of respect I already had for you, it, it's gone way up. Like it, it's not hard to really like root for you, like in the chance to really sit down and talk to you and get to really know you. I appreciate all that you've been able to do. And I appreciate you being able to put yourself out there. Like you have, I, like I said earlier, like, you know, like being genuine on the internet, like it's very, it, it's very easy to realize when people aren't being genuine and you are probably one of the most genuine people I see whenever you do post yourself. So thank you for putting yourself out there like that. Thank you for the incredible stuff you've been a part of and the incredible stuff you're doing in the future. I'm going to be absolutely rooting to, to see all the incredible art that you're going to have a hand in at some point, because I know it's going to be incredible no matter what. So long and short of it, thank you for what you do and keep up the incredible work. Oh, thank you so much. You make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. That's all I'm trying to do here. All right. <laughs> thank you. You're I really very, appreciate it. You are very welcome. Now, for those who might also want to see what exactly I'm talking about and give you that genuine love as well, go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home. Um. Okay. Well, you can find my portfolio at Church at Weebly.com. Um, you can find my social media, uh, both Instagram and Twitter, at Cinematic, uh, spelled S-E-N-N-A-Matic, like a machine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Tumblr at Cinematic Art, because somebody else took Cinematic. I don't know who did that. How dare they? Um, How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> also, I was going to say, like, it is kind of ironic that you went with the, the, the cinematic or whatnot, because for two things, one, it sounds like you're saying cinematic, which is fair. Yes. So fact that, yes, that was the, that was the point. <laughs> that, that was the point, and that's fair. But also, I'm thinking, like, you're from Detroit and being surrounded by the car culture. It sounded like a knockoff, also, like, automatic as well. So Automatic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not yeah, the first person to point that out. So. That. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I got the idea. One of my one of my buddies when we were all we were all rebranding our stuff uh, during school. Um, mm -hmm. One of my buddies was like, "Oh my god, you should be cinematic, like the word cinematic." And I was like, "Shut up, that is perfect. Thank you." <laughs> uh, and there you go, perfect branding. There you go, <laughs> perfect. Do you have any final words before we sign off? Um, gosh, final words. So much to choose from. <laughs> Um, well, I just, I'm, I'm really glad I got to be a part of this. This was a really fun little, uh, really fun little interview. I've never actually done this before and this was 
so much fun. Well, I'm glad you had fun. It was it was certainly a blast to be able to have you on here and talk. Trust me, like the passion you had about, especially like certain topics or whatnot, genuinely <laughs> were wonderful to listen to. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it came through. <laughs> I did. I didn't think I'd ever find someone that would be so passionate to talk about Cats 2019 like you. But you know oh what? <laughs> I, I believe me, you're lucky you cut me off. I could keep talking for hours. And with that, hours. all I have left to say is, "Ask the wig." I mean, because. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I greatly appreciate you sticking around. And I sincerely hope you enjoyed more than anything else. Senna was a, a fun guest to, to chat with. She, uh, I, I certainly just absolutely loved her art and really getting the chance to talk to her. She, she was a good energy and a good vibe to have for this one. Uh, so for those that don't follow me on Twitter... This past Saturday, I celebrated the fact that this podcast has been running for two years now. September 17th, 2020 was the first episode, the pilot episode with the wonderful Salvador Salcido. Um, boy, was it a train wreck. <laughs> but you know what? I do not regret it. I certainly see how far we've been able to come along this path. It, it's been... It's been a unique trip with you guys, and I greatly appreciate all the love and support you guys have given to this podcast. Without you guys, without the guests, without the people that have been by my side helping me get to this point, I don't know if I would have gotten the two years, honestly. This podcast means a lot to me because of what I've been able to develop the relationships I've been able to have, the people I've been so lucky to get to know and get to talk to, and the fact that I've been able to do that in just two years, just two years, I, it amazes me. It amazes me how far I've been able to come along. And it amazes me the amount of love and support you guys give. Because I'll be honest with you guys, there are some times to where I don't know if this podcast is good. I genuinely have those doubts in the back of my mind that I it, these aren't quality conversations. And certainly no fault to the guests. The guests are incredible, but like I I feel like sometimes I don't put forth my best effort. But I also know that's probably just my mind saying stupid things. Obviously if it wasn't good, if there wasn't any quality, you guys would have hopefully called me out on it. If there was anything wrong with it, I wouldn't have developed the audience that I have. I at least know that there are people that 
listen to this podcast. They appreciate what I'm presenting to people. And it warms my heart knowing that you guys are more than willing to come back and join along with me on this journey. Because, let's be honest, this is just more or less a self-indulgent journey of me getting to talk to the people I love. That's what the, the long and the short of this podcast is. Hey, I like you. Let's talk. That, that's <laughs> I do appreciate you guys sticking around. And, uh. I would get. I know this seems very sentimental, but I, 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 I'm holding back just a little bit because you know this is episode 96. Just saying, episode 100 is coming soon. I have big plans for that one. Uh, I think you guys are gonna like it. What I have lined up, uh, and the people that are gonna be involved with it. I think this is gonna be a fun episode and a good celebration of the podcast. But until I get to 100, I will say thank you guys. Thank you guys for helping me get to this point and helping me keep moving forward with this podcast. Uh, you guys truly do make this experience something special. <laughs>